I so love the Pacific Northwest. She was our home for 20 years. But you know what? The future of God's church and his glory being revealed in this nation, in this region, is entirely dependent on new pastors, young pastors. And you know what, Pursuit Northwest? I think God has it really bad for you because I think you have one of the best, most powerful, vivacious, courageous young pastors in all of the West Coast. Can we stand up and honor Pastor Russell, his wife, his family, their team. Let's clap, shout, cheer. We are with you. Amen. Isn't it refreshing? Hey, having a young man so on fire for God. You know what Russell Spurgeon said? Put a young man on fire with the Holy Spirit and people will drive 100 miles to watch him burn. You're burning, my brother. You're not just smelling like smoke. He's on fire, so we're very, very grateful. Uh, you know, I don't know if I've ever, in all my travels, we're talking about thousands of ministry events in hundreds of churches that I've ever driven up. And on the side of the building, they have Matthew 10, 8, that says, heal the sick, cleanse the lepers, cast out demons. I thought, whoa, they're starting there where others are trying to be kind of a Christocentric communicator, they're starting off with heal the sick, cast out demons. Whoa, I thought the church didn't even believe in demons. Come on. That is just so bold. Today, my assignment, I rarely, if ever, do this. I never go to a place, whether I've been there or not, and preach something that I have not preached. But in the last year, I would say the last three years, God has been dealing with me on developing a theology to conquer and medicate and heal pain. And so I want you to write this phrase down, present pain, future glory. And you're going to turn to Romans chapter 8, and then we will go to Romans chapter 11. And so we're talking about today present pain and future glory. And I want you to think about this. What happened to the West Coast, the nation, and the world in the last three years, uh, really, I believe this, what awaits us is greater than what faced us or what faced us. Our future is greater than even this moment or anything in the past. And I have a bold declaration. God is just starting with Seattle. There will be a great outpouring of healing and miracles in the soul of this city. Are you with me? I'd like you to write this down. There is a mystery when bad things happen to believing people. There is a mystery. You see, in the Bible, in the Old Testament, they really don't use the word suffer or affliction, pain or trouble. In the Old Testament, they kind of have one word, and it's an umbrella, and it is the word evil. And in the world that we live in, it, they call it this present evil age. And even though we're born again and Christ has died for us, there is pain and evil and suffering, affliction and heartache in this world. And there are many different types of pain or suffering. Again, present pain, future glory. It could be pain of the body, pain of the emotions, the soul, pain of a marriage, a relationship, a nation, a city. 
that brings sadness. And I just want to say right now, if there's a sadness in your soul, if there's a discouragement, a disappointment, you're even moved into despair, God is going to heal you today. And you must know this, if someone is intoxicated and they get into their car and they have an accident, no one is guessing why did this happen. I feel the shout of why coming from church people in Seattle. Lord, how, why did this happen? And God is going to begin to give an answer and begin to heal that we can heal the city. Can you say amen? And so if you're in Romans, we're going to go to chapter 8, verse 18. And the scriptures are a book on suffering, human suffering and pain, and that it is inseparable from our experience. Now, please get this. Jesus redeems us. I want you to write this down. Maybe text it. Jesus redeems us in suffering. Do you know that? You and I are redeemed because he suffered. Pastor Russell led us in the Lord's table, communion, and Jesus redeems us in suffering. But please get this next part. And has the ability to redeem our suffering. Did you get that? He not only redeemed us in suffering, he has the ability to redeem our suffering. Now, pain and suffering in and of themselves have no redemption. I don't care if you're a believer or not. What's gone on in the world uh, has no redemption. And let me begin to tell you what I mean by that. God cannot, some people say, yeah, Lord is teach me a lesson from this disease. Well, if that's the case, then every person in every hospital in the world should be taught the greatest lesson, but that is not true. Where there's suffering and pain without the wound of Christ, people only get bitter, broken, and react, and we're not gonna reach Seattle in a reactionary way, but an overcoming, powerful way, because we're more than conquerors. Can you say amen? And we believe that. And so suffering and pain in of themselves are not uh, redeemable. Uh, they cannot be redeemed. I want you to write this down and I'll read this scripture. And I wrote this for us. And I've never preached this before except at the 8 a.m. service. Christ suffered not that we would not experience pain because in our world there is trouble, there is affliction, evil, and pain. But in our lives we could experience redemption quality through being engrafted into Christ. I want to read that one more time. Christ suffered. Not that we would never have pain or affliction or evil, but that in that pain that we can be redeemed by being grafted into Christ. Let's read this scripture. This is Romans 8, 18. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed. Where? in us. I want to get that again. For I consider, with Paul is saying this, another word, another translation, say, I reckon. You know what he's really saying? I've done the math, and the math is going to add up. You see, when you're believing in something evil happens to you, it appears that the math is not, it doesn't add up. But today, I'm going to show you how the math adds up. So Paul says this, I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed, not in heaven, not in the future, really in one sense, but in us he will reveal it. Now let's go to Romans chapter 11. We're going to read about the great tree who is Jesus Christ, verses 16 to 20. And it says this, for if the first fruit is holy, then the lump is holy. 
And if the root is holy, so are the branches. And if some of the branches were broken off, and you being a wild olive tree, how many wild people do we have in here? This is a wild church, huh? I'd rather be a wild church than a dead church. I'd rather be a wild church than a woke church. I'd rather be a wild church than a bland, blatant, mediocre church. You know why there's a difference between a wild believer and a complacent believer? When you realize how wild your sin was and how crazy Jesus was to take your sin on, that you could love him no matter what you face. Come on. Don't get me preaching up and help. And if some of the branches were broken off and you being a wild thing, that's what my wife says, you're a wild thing. We're grafted in, we're grafted in, say it with me, we're among them and with them became partakers. Underline that word, say partakers of the root of the fatness mm, of the olive tree. Don't boast against the branches, but if you do boast, remember that you do not support the root, but the root supports you. You will say, then, the branches were broken off that I might be grafted in. Everyone say, grafted in. Well said, because of unbelief, they were broken off. And you stand by faith. Do not be haughty, but fear or worship God. For God did not spare the natural branches. He may not spare you either. Say, oh my. You know, in the last few years, really, and even beyond COVID, I'll just say this, I didn't say it the first service. In 2019, two days after Christmas, every year I've read through my Bible 42 times. I am a monk, a modern monk. I practice the ways of Jesus in a modern world. And I've also read my New Testament 163 times. And so every year I have a journal. I'm like a middle school girl. I love my journal. I do have a diary. <laughs> Be quiet. And I get a scripture for the year. Now, my scripture for the year for 2020 was going to be from Mark 9. All things are possible with, for those who believe. All things are not possible for the doubting. You have to believe. And so I was getting ready. I put my name, Pastor Jude. Pastor is my first name. Jude is my last name. <laughs> and I'm getting ready to put the scripture from Mark 9, all things are possible. And Pastor Russell, right then, let me just say something. God is a living God, like the song said. I don't worship energy. I don't worship some, uh, I don't know, iconic energy. No, I worship the living God, and he still speaks today. If God spoke once, he still speaks. And so he said, that's not your verse. I started laughing. I said, well, Lord, it's my Bible. It's my journal. I can take my verse. He said, Jude, things will happen in 2020 that will rock people's faith and they will begin to deconstruct their faith and doubt me because of the pain and the suffering that's going to come upon the world. He said, that is not your verse. He said, in 2020, in the years and days ahead, I am going to teach you silence, solitude, and stillness. And I said, all right, then you give me my verse. He said, be still and know that I am God. He said, when you're not still, you'll never know. But when you are still, you will know. And when you know, you're not going to be controlled by outward elements that come from an evil world. Uh, 
He said, but you will know that I have not orchestrated the evil, but I can heal the evil. I can help you mitigate the evil. But most of all, can I say God doesn't want us to live with our pain or the evil or the persecution? He wants us to overcome it, and there's only one way to overcome it, and that is to be engrafted to something deeper, wider, higher, stronger than we are, and that's when we become more than conquerors in Jesus Christ. Not death, not life, not angel, not demon, not heaven, not hell. Nothing will separate us from this tree. Now, let me just tell you the type of Christian I have been for 42 years, and I accepted Christ at the age of 20. In most of my Bibles, if you open the front cover of my Bible, this is what the phrase usually says. It has usually two things. Number one, the Bible says it. I believe it. That settles it. Did you get it? For me, if the Bible says it's my wish that you prosper above all things, guess what, Pursuit Northwest? Not only is your next step the University of Washington building, thank you, Jesus, can I say there'll be other buildings? And by the way, they're not giving them away free. Somebody's going to have to prosper to begin to pay the buildings off. So for me, I believe what the Bible says. But that's my first go-to. My first go-to isn't Instagram. My first go-to, God knows, isn't YouTube or Facebook or Twitter. My first go-to is the Scriptures. And in my Bible, I have this. The Bible, say it with me, the Bible says it. I believe it. That settles it. Now, for me, most of my life, my, uh, believing life, I should say it this way, because there's a mystery. When bad things, hurtful things, suffering things, painful things come against believers, we don't know how to handle that. Now, get this. My theology was pretty much sowing and reaping, and I got that from Galatians 6. Whatever a man or a woman, a person sows, they will reap. And I got that. It's really kind of like you hear in a Tony Robbins seminar. What goes around comes around. They say that. And that's how they What goes around comes around. And that's how they say that. What goes around comes around. And I really believe that. If you planted seeds of uh, finances in a church, then I believe you would reap seeds from God. I don't know, how many, have you ever planted a financial seed in an offering and God put a large amount on your heart? Can I say, if it doesn't say ouch in your mind, it may not be God? Because usually when God asks you to sow something, it, it, it pushes you to the limit. And every time Becky and I gave sacrificially, we thought the next week we'd get a promotion, we'd get a check in the mail, we'd win Powerball. How many of you, come on. People say, Lord, in the name of Jesus, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, Blessed Virgin, let me win it and I'll give you 50%. And I always would tell people, why would you give the Lord 50% of a billion dollars when you're only giving 2% of your hundred dollars? I'm going to look for an amen. Amen. <laughs> and so, but you know what's weird? I have what is called a retribution theology. I did not know how to handle when bad things happen. So when we, I thought it was all on me. That if we gave, then we, it would be given back unto us, good measure, pressed down, shaken together. But have you ever given and all of a sudden the next day you get a flat tire? Given, then you have to take your kid to urgent care, and it's another hundred bucks, and they don't even give them antibiotics. They said, go home and eat a blueberry, and I said, I just paid you a hundred bucks to tell me to go to the farmer's market. <laughs> Are you with me on that? 
I, I think we have a very almost non-existent theology on pain and suffering. Can I say right now, and most people say this, I was taught never ask God why when bad things happen. Well, maybe we shouldn't ask God, but maybe we should ask the world. We usually blame God or we blame the devil. Can I say some of the suffering in my life I caused? I'm going to say that again. Some of the suffering that in my life I caused. Are you with me? And so but some of it is just living in a world. In Romans 8, before verse 18, where he says, I consider, I've done the math that this present suffering, this present pain cannot be compared to the future glory that awaits us in us. Are you with me? And he says this. So I want you to begin to think with me on this. In Romans, it says the creation is groaning. My, the spirit groans. And sometimes I myself groan within myself. Now, let me tell you what began to happen. And what really, this has been a 42-year process. I've never known how to handle pain in my life because I'm a believer. You're going to think I'm crazy. I believe I'm God's favorite. I don't care if you believe it. I know I am. I know I'm his favorite. And I couldn't understand, and this is the first time it happened. Becky and I wanted, we were youth pastors at a big mega faith church. Had television ministry, global ministry, known all over the world, this church. And Becky got pregnant for the first time. Oh my goodness, when that little stick turned pink, we were the happiest people in the world. And I got scripture, I want you to follow me, because this was my theology. It was a theology, if I did this, then God will do this. If I did this, God will do this. Almost what I call the vending machine theology. I put a dollar in, I get potato chips out. And, and, and so trying to navigate with God and direct God in such a way. And so Becky was pregnant, and I would quote scriptures every day. I would quote scriptures, blessed be the fruit of your womb. The God who gave conception, 25 I memorized, and I spoke to that child every day. The God who gave conception will give delivery. The God will strengthen the walls that is within her. And then one day, it was a Saturday, I'll never forget it. We were at a mall doing some shopping. Uh, we just found out she was pregnant. We're already looking at maternity clothes, goodness gracious. And she began to experience cramping. Long story short, she would begin to miscarry. We had a conference like the Thrive Conference. It was called the uh, Rocky Mountain High uh, Healing Conference. The top healing evangelists of the 80s were all there. And I remember just thinking, God, say the word. I have served you. I was working for Procter & Gamble. I had $100 million worth of account. I sold that as I went into the youth ministry and became a youth pastor. And being a youth pastor is not ranked in Fortune 500. So this wasn't just a little bit of tipping with Jesus on a Sunday kind of getting a building. I had given my life. And I remember thinking, God, just let one of them, let so-and-so say a word and she will be healed. And I remember thinking, God, you must because of what I did. And when Becky miscarried, all of a sudden, not just in my spirit, not in my body, but in my soul, I began to carry a pain. And I didn't realize that I never really digested that. I never gave that attention. It was almost became like a gluten allergy. And I want to say something. When you go to urgent care, they're going to have those little uh, faces. 
Is your pain, is it a smiley face at number one, or is it a seven, an eight, a nine, or a ten where it becomes a frown and it's causing you unrest? And that was the beginning of my retribution thinking coming unraveled. And then what would happen, we would move to the Pacific Northwest. And when we moved to the Pacific Northwest in 1992, we yielded a youth ministry of hundreds of young people. I'll never forget, Wendell said this, he said, Jude, I don't ha- we don't have a church, we don't have a building, I don't have any money, uh, will you come out and will you be our youth pastor? Now let me just stop, people. A year before, a mega church in this country offered me $100,000 to be their youth pastor. And that was the 80s. I had a call to the youth of America, my wife had a call to the malls of America with that salary she could have fulfilled her call and the Lord and and they offered me I I could have assistance associate youth pastor it was my face would have been on the cover of every conference and yet God says this isn't for you in fact I want you to get debt free because I'm going to send you to a place that they can't afford you and one year later, Wendell Smith says, will you come and help us start a church? I can't give you anything. And God says, this is it. And we would move to the Pacific Northwest. And can I tell you, after sacrificing like that, I thought, man, it's going to be easy. I'm a king's kid. I could have almost had on my Volkswagen Jetta blessed on the license plate. However, sometimes we get confused that when we sow and we don't reap, because in Genesis it says sowing and reaping, and I love it when I sow and reap. Did you hear what I just said? I love it when I sow and reap, but I hate it when I sow and five years later and eight years later and can I say right now this church is reaping what others sowed for you to harvest. And so we had five young people in the youth group. Judah Smith, Wendy Smith Perez, Carla Adams, Christy Adams, and Mike Smith. It would grow to hundreds of young people. And at the age of 42, we would turn that over to Pastor Judah. It would go into the University of Washington, Kane Hall, to the building that you guys will possess. And when I was 42, there we go, that, that theology. Oh, I did this, now God's going to do that. Then two months after I moved on from GC, good Lord, I thought I was going to have a healing miracle revival because of what I did. Two, three months later, a 100-pound weight fell on my foot, had three surgeries, and uh, a year and a half later, still in a boot cast. I remember thinking this, God, what did I do to deserve this? Is this how you're repaying me? Can I tell you right now, I do not think why is a wrong answer. I think it's the person we should be asking. Maybe not God, maybe not the devil. Surely we should ask ourselves, but maybe we need to begin to ask something of this present age. That why is this happening? Because the world is under subjection and bondage. There's pain in the world, there's affliction in the world, there's evil in the world, there's suffering in the world. And sometimes we have nothing to do with it. But if I begin to blame God for the pain that comes in my life, I cannot stay connected to God or be engrafted with God. Are you with me on that? Now, I want to go back. It says this. Listen to this. It says that the tree, the olive tree, that tree is Jesus Christ. 
and he was wounded. Jesus Christ was wounded. He suffered that we can be redeemed. Without his suffering, you and I cannot be redeemed. However, get this, when I take my wound and I join it to his wound and it's engrafted, then the life-giving sap of Jesus Christ can begin to flow through my life. Now, let me just say this. The opposite thing I want to do, you must get this, the naturals in my soul. You see my spirit say, yes, Jesus, I love you, Lord. I love you. I love you. But my soul is saying, what's going on? When something painful happens, usually I want to draw away in my soul from God. And my faith is inhibited. Now, let me say this. For example, we, Wendell would fight cancer. And I had many opportunities to take over large churches in this nation. But I knew my assignment was to hold the people together. A few weeks ago, when Becky and I were in Italy on a two-month sabbatical, Jenny Smith came and spoke to our team and leaders. Because years ago, Mark Driscoll, who was the pastor of Mars Hill, uh, asked Jenny, I was in the room, Marlene and Don Ostrom were there. He said, how is it after your husband going through this many years of fighting cancer that one of your associates did not go and start another church in this city and divide your church? Pastor Jenny told our team, she said, I didn't even think Jesus, I didn't think the Holy Spirit, I didn't even think the Word of God. She said, what came out of my mouth, she said, it was Pastor Jude. He would have never allowed it. And she said, he held us together. But Russell, you know what happened? I held it together, but on the inside, my soul was falling apart because I did not know how to mitigate, how to manage, but most of all, how to bring a wound and join my wound with the wound of Christ. You see, to be engrafted, not only does the tree need to be cut, and not just cut, I mean really rivets deep into the tree. But guess what? Even though I'm a wild thing, it doesn't matter how wild you were. Maybe you were boring wild. I was crazy wild. Now, I kid you not, you know what has to happen? There has to be a cut. There has to be a wound. There has to be a rivet. You know what A.W. Tozer and Augustine said? Very similar. God cannot greatly use a man or a woman unless they've been deeply wounded. I call this the work of the wound. You see, my soulish tendency, when I'm wounded in the soul, I begin to doubt God. I'll never forget, they had this Jewish woman. She said, Pastor Jude, do you have anything on suffering, pain, death, and dying? And I said, you believe in God? She quoted Deuteronomy 6, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one, and love him with all your heart, your mind, soul, and strength. Then I asked her a question. Do you believe he's good? She paused. She paused. She said, no, I can never believe he's good. She said, what about World War I, World War II? My family's business were taken. The Nazis came in. We'd go to London. It was bomb. I would come to America. I'd become a nurse. My first husband passed away. My second husband. Why would I ever think God is good? I said, you see, I said, well, what about penicillin? What about antibiotics? What after a, a hurricane, a tsunami in Red Cross? Come? She goes, that's people. That's people. That's people. I said, so on the ledger, you know when Paul was saying, I consider? It's an accounting term. It's a mathematics term. And you see in life, and I want to just say, I hate math. Amen. Another ADD remedial student out there. <laughs> and I'll give you a scripture. God is not the author of confusion. 
It took me till 10th grade to get my fractions down. Then we go into algebra. They say there's a train leaving Tacoma, another one leaving uh, Vancouver, British Columbia, and they're going to meet in Bellingham, use the alphabet to figure it out. When Paul is saying, I consider, he's saying, I, I did the math. And can I say, there are many lying voices speaking about Seattle. Saying the church can never be the same. Seattle will never recover. Who are you reading? We are here to bring a renaissance to Seattle. We are going to rebirth this city. Come on. You know what Paul was saying? Because we do the math like this. I gave $5, so I should have $500. I gave $500, I should have five. Uh-uh. That's not God's math. And let me tell you about the tree that we are engrafted in. Jesus Christ is the numbers. He doesn't have a beginning. He doesn't have an end. I remember asking my son, Jude, John, and Jake, my son, hey, what's the first number? Jake goes, Dad, it's easy. It's one. Jude goes, no, no, like he was a sage. No, Dad, it's negative one. I said, Jude, if you can have a negative one, can you have a negative thousand, million, trillion? Yeah. I said, can you have a million, trillion? He said, yes. I said, so you don't know the first number, do you? He said, no. I said, that's right. God doesn't have an end. He doesn't have a beginning. But God would become the alphabet. He's better than math itself. He's the alpha. He is the omega. And when things are a mystery and confusion and painful, why do parents die prematurely? Why are children taken in a divorce? Why is it that we went through what we went through the last three years? I want to settle the issue. It's not God. We live in an evil world, but we can be engrafted our wound to his wound and we can be healed. Don't waste your wound. And really, there are two ways to handle pain. I feel people in here have depression. You're sad because you do not know how to manage your pain. God doesn't want you to take the woundedness of that wild branch yourself and medicate it. How many edibles will you eat until you feel better and not recognize that wound? How much will you drink? How much Netflix will we watch? That is not God's way for us to be healed. How much food will we eat? How much sweets will we eat? Come on, no. How much will we, you know what some people are? They're like in a roundabout in Italy. Oh, my pain, my pain. They loop. How many, know, how many of you know a looper? If you are overreacting right now, you're probably looping a pain. If small things become big things, you may be looping a pain. If you're still stuck in the past, oh, why can't we go back? Because we can't. We're in the now. And for me to go back, I can't have faith. Because faith is now. Can you say amen? Okay, this is where we end, all right? And I'm out of time, but here we go. I very rarely share this, but I feel I must. I was 38. Our youth ministry was growing.